1: At greenlight.com slash acast
2: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Tonaries Podcast. I'm your host, James, and I'm joined as always by my good friend Timmy Long. Hi everyone. Sean is on the switch, i say hi Sean. What's the
0: story, how's
2: it going? Ian the producer's in the audience. Say hi Ian. Hiya. Yeah. <laughs> and our good friend Nicola Talent, is at the table. Yeah. And Nicola's good friend Joey. From the Witness Podcast is also at the table. How are you? Why you, Joey? Good. How are you, lad? Sorry. Thanks, You're yeah, good. Thanks for coming down to meet us. No problem. Thanks for having me. No bother at all. I'm going to start with Nicola, okay? Mm-hmm. Nicola. So recently, the Witness got the best podcast of the year in Ireland. Mm. The first podcast awards. Like this has been it's been a phenomenal success, hasn't it? Did you in Did you imagine it becoming so big or?
3: No. Um, Look, it's I still knew, trending today. Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah, I knew definitely the story was special from the beginning. And it started, I suppose, with a book and then the book became the podcast. We sort of managed to put the podcast together at those weird times when, mm. you know, it was it started and it stopped because it was right at the beginning of COVID. But we persisted and it was a small team working on it, which helped. Mm. Um and then it just set sail because these podcasts sort of things we do start with nothing and you're just building 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 for me it's great to see the figures constantly go Mm -hmm. up you're working in the newspaper industry things are going down a little bit Mm -hmm. but to see that sort of growth the popularity and be able to see the witness was all about word of mouth there was no marketing there wasn't a single penny spent on any marketing on any advertising it literally was like a little boat been put out there and, yeah, it's flown. It, it goes to show the strength of
4: um, somebody's lived experience as well. Doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and, and how others then who listen, they can relate in some way, not fully, but in some way and uh, empathise mm-hmm. massively, you know. I listened to it myself, I listened to it, I was completely blown away. I must have given it, to, sent it to every person that I knew and what really, really got me was the strength of joy. Uh, of of his strength and and, and his family and how, how they actually, how they got through what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you were there to help him along the way a lot. You know, do you want to tell us a little bit about that kind of journey?
3: Well, I mean, the big journey has been for Joey and his family and I suppose I remember when we were, when we did the book and it was about to be published and it was like always, oh, I hope this is the right thing to do. You'd have that moment of, oh, my God, and, you know, horrors and waking up. And what if this all goes wrong or whatever? But so there was that and we kind of got over that. And I think for Joey and his family, it was how it would be accepted by the local community because they were turned on by the local community. And Joey was became a pariah because of that gangland thing, Omerta, mm. He was seen as having broken that code. But actually nobody understood what was going on. And I think when people heard the story, read it or heard it um, and in particular heard it, they totally people who had turned against them totally came back to the table and understood Mm. that this was a child that had been taken, groomed, almost destroyed and yet had the, the power and, you know, the strength of spirit within him to do the right thing and to change everything to change the course of history. You know, we do. You know, for the handful
2: of people in yeah. Ireland that didn't hear the podcast yet, we'll go right back yeah. right, and introduce them to yourself, Joey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up and you know, just a bit of context?
5: Well, uh, my name's Joey O'Callaghan and um, obviously the, wit- the Witness is the book that we wrote, myself and Nicola, and um, we've done a podcast called The Witness in His Own Woods. I am originally from Ballymun, in in Dublin, and, yeah, I was born and bred there. uh, My ma was from the south side, and my dad was from uh, Malnethy, and they got married, and we moved to Ballymun. Basically, uh, my my dad had a drink problem, and they got married, a lot of domestic abuse, stuff like that, and, that led to us moving to Ballymun and getting a council flat. Are
2: um, about the fifth Ballymunner we've had on the podcast?
5: I think we lived in every part of Ballymun. <laughs> we, li- we lived in Slogue, we lived in Balbutcher, we lived in Balcudders and then the main the main family home was Poppentry. Mm. So um, when my ma and dad separated, my ma left me there and gave him the house and my dad stayed in Poppentry. And she obviously left him for the reason for that I just said alcoholism and domestic abuse and so um where was school for you school in school in ballymum was the memories i have what 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 are we and we we did we didn't have much like we we just we had our our uniforms and Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have much money around like that but like we had a clean home like like i lived with my mom my sisters have always been with them Mm. and when my brothers lived with me so um we all went to the same school though even though we are separated yeah so my brothers went to the same school Mm. and i went to the same school i had
2: a good relationship with them
5: with my brothers yeah growing up i did yeah when i was younger um when i was younger and and, and i do now yeah now i do but it was strained for a long time because of the situation yeah and they didn't agree with what i'd done either um but, but due to the witness to the podcast and the book yeah we've mended them relationships and don't get me wrong we don't see each other i talk on the phone every day i can't do that with a lot of my family but
2: it's good times
5: but there's there's no bad blood there anymore and they've kind of come like other people like the community they've come to the understanding that they just didn't realize Mm -hmm. it it was that bad like so yeah
2: but you know in school like were you interested in school were you alone yeah
5: i was i was good i've always been i've always been um I was good I was I, always, I could read and write like I, was, mm. I I can do that, it's not a problem reading. You're a
2: tremendous storyteller. Yeah, and you know there's read a great vocabulary there and uh, no communication skills are
5: I enjoyed it, like I enjoyed reading, I enjoyed writing, um I was um i done my junior cert, I think we said a while ago, I failed maths, I can't remember how I failed maths, because all the was count money. <laughs> That's ridiculous, like, yeah. but years later, that, that was one of the main yeah. things I had to do all the time, I'm thinking, how hell on earth did I fail maths, but anyways, it was probably the circumstances. You go back and do it, he was gutted by that, I mean, he did his junior cert when he
3: was in the witness protection program, waiting yeah, to give that, evidence. Yeah. Street amazing. maths is different to street yeah, yeah, maths. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. yeah, like, so, it's, it's completely, completely different,
5: different. <laughs> yeah. but I did, I did enjoy it, and everything was, I enjoyed school, and um Ma was, struggled a lot when she left me there. Ma kind of went into alcoholism myself and Ma, she drank a lot and she was out a lot. And, but she made sure we were fed, like the house was clean. We, we, had a, we had a clean home, Like it wasn't a kip. Like it. We had food in the presses, but she'd be out for days drinking and stuff like that. And she struggled like mm. with depression and
2: like a lot of families yeah. at
5: the time yeah everyone at ballymore not just their family a lot of families in ballymore at the time it was drink i think i've said it before It was drink drugs physical abuse and mm-hmm. um, unfortunately me, my sisters were left to rear me and my younger sister my other my elder sisters were they reared us like Um i'd go to my dad on the weekends my dad lived like five minutes away up in poverty Pop- so you, like you could you could run there in five minutes yeah. Um and I'd go every summer, to stay all summer. I loved going to my dad because I was safe. It was the safest place in the world. Like mm-hmm. When I was with my dad, everything was all right. Like mm. like He never harmed me, he never hit me, he never... I was the baby, Like so I never... I had a little sister, but she had a different father. Mm. So I was my dad's youngest, so... Mm. And he gave the others a slap. He was very strict with them. He was strict with me, like you weren't allowed... Like, from one end of the road, so you weren't allowed past the fifth house. And he'd stand at the door all day watching me mm. till all hours at night. And... But that was a safe haven. But at home, my ma's ma's it was difficult because, ma met a partner and it was domestic. Like he was beating her up and he was beating me and he was beating me sisters. And so that was difficult.
4: That was tough.
5: Mm. Yeah, yeah, because we were so young and I did. I know. I. I now I know that my dad used to do it, but mm. I never seen my dad mm. hit my mother, so I wasn't used to it. So what I used to do was was run away and run to my dad and say, "He's he's down there beating me ma," and it was it was strange because I. I said it in the book and i think i said in the podcast my dad would come down down and beat your man up for beating me out, <laughs> <laughs> and he would do the same thing years before but yeah. it, it, it kind of it was a bit strange like but yeah. mm. anyways um yeah and i had a good childhood besides that in the mm. flats like we played football we kicked the can, i played there were so many other kids like and there were so many people my age and but then you had then you had you had the drugs. You had like mm. there were people strung out on drugs. And you know. what age were you at that time, enjoy? I would have been around five, six, seven. Around that. Around yeah. that age. What year were you born? I was born in '85. Same as me. Yeah. So yeah. I would have been around five, six, seven. Around that age. I was, I was only small. Like I was only a little fella. Mm. I was a little fella. I well, still am little. Mm. But <laughs> I was a little fella for a long time. Like I was. It took me a while to grow. Like and. Uh,
2: you are in the height of a heroin epidemic as well. Yeah, like.
5: well, it, it was and bad. Well,
2: Barrymore was the epicenter for it. Like. Well,
5: uh, we didn't really understand much mm. because what would happen was is like you'd see you'd see people strung out like, and as people would call them junkies, and that 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 was the word that would be used. And mm. now, her, like, as you get older, you're like, more mature, I'd be heroin addicts and stuff yeah. like that. And I wouldn't understand. Mm. And they'd be lying on the floor like we lived on the third floor. I remember on the and you'd go up the stairs, and if I was out at night like. My sister would call at the window or something. shit at the window. I'd be shouting like Joseph, get up, get in there. It's time to come in. Mm. And then like we had under the stairs. We had like alley, uh, like under the alley. Like and you see foots moving, and you see there'd be urine, there'd be feces, there'd be all sorts lying on the mm. lying on the stairs, and there'd be people lying like injecting and stuff mm. like that. Hard um,
4: enough for a five and six-year-old child to, to to kind of understand mm. what's going on around them at that age.
5: Well, what, what, what I didn't understand, I remember what my ma used to say, "Be nice to them 'cause they're sick." Yeah. And I used to say, "Ma, like, what's wrong, like, and Why are they doing that?" And, and she'd be like, "No, no." She like, had
2: that compassion in her, soft for them, like.
5: Yeah, yeah, Ma was always Ma was like, "Don't have a slag, or don't ever take the piss, like, don't mm-hmm. don't be rude, like, always just stay away from them, but don't be, don't be disrespectful, don't be like." She used to say, "They were ill, they were sick." When my dad had a complete. It was a complete one eighty with my da, Like it was anti-drugs. It was, it was like, mm. she he wouldn't even have them walk past his house. Like my dad was involved in the Concerned Parents. And they were can kind of beer roaring at them. To yeah, go he
2: ran the long oh. way. He <laughs> would not be like that. Was the way <laughs> he, he was like, and, he was involved in the Concerned Parents. Yeah, against Yeah, he drugs. was very
5: involved in ba- in Ballymun. He was he was probably one of the the main main activists. At the right order, mm. he was. He would march. My sisters would remember. Marching, there's actually videos I think on YouTube somewhere of them marching in um, Ballymun with my sisters there with them. Imagine um, that though,
4: imagine looking at a community in, in a number of years completely mm. going from kids out playing to completely having to watch your kids all playing and teenagers completely destroyed from heroin addiction. Mm.
3: I think it sounds terrifying. Yeah, yeah. it is. It, it, it actually sounds is. Like something. as a child in those yeah. fields in Ballymun and Joey would say the drug dealer would pull up in the car and get out, mm-hmm. and they'd just come out of nowhere like zombies, kind of walking towards the
5: drug dealer. And the kids would be playing football and just. Mm-hmm. I mean but they get used to it
3: then, after all. Then
5: they do, yeah. Of when you're it, in it, yeah. I think, I think you're right. When you're in it, it's not, mm. it's not as scary as when you're in it. Mm. When you're brought up in it, yeah, when it's around you, it's
2: normalised, isn't it? Yeah,
5: that's And I think you've probably had that experience yourself. You yeah. yeah. down here, like it's mm. when it's it's your everyday situation, like and, Mm. No, and you know it, the people, of course. Then yeah, as well. yeah, you knew them, yeah. and they were neighbours, and they were like they were family friends and like people. You'd feel the deterioration. Like I think I spoke about one girl in the book that was a family friend, and she was absolutely stunning, and she, she was a friend of the family, and like I mean, literally beautiful girl. And then well, and I I just for some reason she always stuck in my mind. I remember she lived beside me, down on the flats. But then I remember one day going to my dad's and I think I tell the story in the book. I was walking up to the park and I see her coming out of bushes, like with men, and mm. she's just like completely gaunt. Hair falling out, everything just destroyed and you yeah. just you just seeing what what it, what drugs done to the people. Mm. And then nothing really besides the besides the the domestic abuse at home, like with my man, nothing really bad happened to me and How did it,
2: how did it. How did you end up falling into the life involving drugs and crime and stuff? How did that come about?
5: Well, we were in Ballymona, and um, before then, there was a fella that lived on the next block, and I used to play with these figures, wrestling figures. Mm-hmm. And after getting her act together, and uh, she got a job and stuff like that, and she met Noel partner and uh they um they she ma was walking the was walking everything was grand and ma used to get paid and she used to give me like five pounds back then it was Mm -hmm. and i used to go sanchi was really far back then in your head it was far when you're a kid that height sanchi was miles away from bali but it's actually not five minutes but when you're a little kid running Mm -hmm. to sanchi with five pounds it's a lot of money like Mm -hmm. and it's it's a far away and i used to buy wrestling figures and um I used to play in the front of the block on the stairs but not realising when I was playing in front of the block there was a lad up the top who used to be watching me playing. And when I was playing in front of the block, he had figures. And yes. then he used to say to me, Come up and I'll swap figures with you And that's when the bad things started happening, and that's when stuff started happening the way I'm right. Like and mm. um, I didn't realise what was going on at the time. And it was my sisters that realised. Ma wasn't at home and the girls. Uh, what age were you then, Joy? I think it was six or seven. And mm. I just remember being in the in the flat one day, and the door kept smashing down, and it was my sisters. And I don't know how they knew I was there, but they remember this. They tell me mm. they remember. I remember it. They say I remember it, right? Really. Because I wasn't sure what I remember mm. it right, really, because I was so young. And they remember smashing the door down and attacking the guy and everything. And they knew, like, wait, what was after happening. And I, I I, didn't understand, like... And then he just disappeared then. The, the man that I was saying, please don't ring the police and all or something. And then he just disappeared. we never seen him again. He was sent away or whatever, I don't know.
4: Was he much older than you?
5: Yeah, yeah, he would have been the same age as my sisters. Okay. So they would be, they would be, like... Yeah, it would have been, like, seven, eight years older. Like, he would have been in his teens, like... Mm-hmm. So, um... Then we moved to Blanchestown... Ma, as I said, Ma got our stuff together, got our shit together, and Noel, and that was our partner, and stopped drinking as much, got a job, started learning how to drive, things got better, we started going on holidays, and um, we, we, we started getting nice clothes, like, we, we didn't have everything, but mm. we had, a, mm. we, from being poor, we were, <laughs> it was, yeah. we were rich like we were able to get a <laughs> pair of Wrangler jeans yeah. mm. and we were them and stuff like that where we couldn't afford stuff you went like from that.
4: port working class yeah like, yeah
5: basically yeah, yeah. and yeah. we moved from out to Blanchardtown. ma bought a ma and Noel bought a house like and it was it was, a, it was brand new it wasn't like a second house. house like, it was like a mansion there, mm. so. but I was like didn't want to go I was like no like mm. I never wanted to leave because by mum was all I knew and my dad mm. was there and my dad was a I would say functioning alcoholic because that's all he'd done every day was drink but he didn't walk like, but he was always in the house. He was always that that male figure that I that I looked up to and protected and you, me.
2: And you felt safe with him as well. Yeah,
5: and I knew once I went to Blanche, that was gone. I knew I wasn't that naive and that stupid to think my dad was going to come and see me every day, or I could see him every day. Though he said he would, mm. I knew at the end of the day, the drink was more important.
2: And yeah. did you get on with
5: Yeah, I loved him up until he moved us to the Blanches town, but then I got over it. Then yeah. I got over it and. Um, I didn't like him because he moved us to Blanchestown. <laughs> I'll never forget the journey. It took, took hours. It felt like hours. I'm probably exaggerating, but I felt hours in the back. We were all in the back of a little green course. Like yeah. The whole family packed up and off to Blanchestown we went.
2: Because Ballymun is, is near Ikea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Blanchestown is just in, inside Dublin for people coming from Cork. You, know? it's just, you come into Dublin, is on mm. the left.
5: But you have to remember back then there was no shopping centre and it was all fields. Mm. So Blanchestown was literally like There's this. It no was 50 yeah. No, yeah. Oh, so oh, it's oh, a bit of oh, a longer no. route now. Yeah, with yeah, yeah, the yeah, back roads yeah, yeah. and back then it was just all was all fields and we, we were probably one of the first newest things to be built. It was um there was twenty four houses and we were number three and i will i obviously never forget the number. Um yeah, we were number three and so basically we moved in and it was just from the get go, it was just awful.
4: No school, having to start. New, no new school. school,
5: didn't know anybody. There was nobody around. It was, it was kind of. The, the only people were, ironically, I, I moved across the road from uh, the Westies. Yeah. Uh, Shane Coates, he lived right across the road. They moved across the road, and uh, I didn't know who they were, so it wasn't an issue to me. And I, I started knocking about one of the lads over there, and I didn't know I was doing that wrong. And no was in the pub one night. And Noel would have been in, involved with Sinn Féin and stuff like this, delivering leaflets and all that for Pro one nights and stuff like that. Mm. And I didn't know I was doing anything wrong and knocking around with this fella. And some fella went into the pub and said to Noel, you're young fella going around with one of the Westies. And Noel comes home, me man, sit me down and says, you're not to be going around with this fella. And he he's... So and so and like I, mean, I don't know who the Westies are. I don't know who yeah. Shane Coates You're is. An innocent child. Though. Yeah, I yeah. haven't got a clue. Like so, um, and they were never. Obviously, I didn't listen, so I was still knocking about with the with the fella and I met Shane Coates and Suggs and all the like of them and they. Um, but bizarrely,
3: that had nothing to do with how Joey got. Yeah, they, they never I'm, done.
5: Yeah, they never done anything wrong. Like
3: and yeah. he didn't, and it was just a neighbour and they were friends. But mm-hmm. I think. They you handled know.
2: a lot of people, but not you.
3: Yeah, yeah they never, exactly. So they were just you, up and
4: coming, so that's the age I'd say.
3: And it was a younger brother. I mean, you were just interested because they had a giant pond out the back garden, which mm-hmm, was yeah. very <laughs> intriguing for yeah. anybody invited in. But I know when you're asked, how did you get involved in crime? Like, You got involved in crime because you took a job on a milk float. Well, and, basically and what happened, yeah. Not you didn't willingly get involved in crime, yeah. That's what happened to
5: you. Yeah. No, I basically what happened was, as I said, I started a new school and uh, it was awful. The new school, it was me and my little sister, and they were uh, they gave us a hard time from being from Ballymun. Didn't give me a sister a hard time, they gave me, I got a she was younger, she was in like the infants part, and I was in the so it was primary school, I was still very young like, Um I was Ballymun this, Ballymun that, you're a scumbag from Ballymun, Ballymun rob you, he'll rob you of stuff cause he's from Ballymun. So I ended up getting into fights, there was a lot of a lot of altercations. And
2: Ballymun has the same reputation yeah. as Knock where we're from. Mm. You know? It's like, if you're from, where are you from? Knock and Heaney, oh, just a bit of that, you know. It's, but but Ballymun is, is the equivalent.
5: Yeah, so I'd never done any, I'd never been involved in any sort of criminality whatsoever. Like, I'd never done anything besides trying to fight for myself in school, like, trying to protect myself, like, mm. from being bullied and stuff like that. So what happened was, basically, they were then they were someone was bullying me sister. I got into a fight. And basically what happened was, is they basically, I used to get sent home for me break, because I lived so close to the school, I was the only student. Because I kept getting into all the occasions, they used to send me home for my break and then I'd come back because I lived at the back of the school. And one day I'm in the house, and I'm not sure whether I was suspended or I was sent home from school. It was one or the other, and then I'm just in the house. There's nobody there near My sister walked in the local shop. So I used to go out She'd make me lunch, and then she'd go back to work. And I could see the shop from the house. Like I could see it from my bedroom window. And she could see the house. And Ma, would, Ma was walking in Blanchetown Hospital at the time and then the was out driving the bus. Look, my older sister was in the army and that leaves in school with me. And my brothers were back in Bali and my dad, so that's how it was. So you just, that's how we survived, like, that's how we lived. And then there was just a knock on the door. And I opened the door and, uh it was just this man standing there. And, uh he, uh, Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take a time. I, I just opened the door and there was just his man standing there and I just didn't know who he was and he was just standing there and like he was just he uh I just said, Yeah, who are you like? And he's on the milkman And I said, uh yeah, like what, what do you want like I knew we didn't get milk at it but so mm-hmm. I didn't like I was like oh, what do you want and he was like yeah, he just, Where's your mare, like, and all this and I I was like she's been walking. We spoke about before myself and Nicola, I never understand how it, we had a hall and then we had a sitting room we had a dining room and then we had a kitchen and he just got from the door into the kitchen in the space of a second, like it was just, it was like two seconds and we were in the kitchen like, and he's standing in front of me and I'm standing there and he's like, why aren't you in school and I'm like, whatever reason I wasn't in school, I really can't, I can't remember, like, and I said, well, on my, on my break I was suspended at the time and he, uh, he says, I'm, "I'm." I says, "He says, I'm just here to see the jama I want milk delivered. i could like it'd be a new customer, like." And I says, "Uh, so you, you like you're a milkman, there? Uh? And then I just said to him, "Can I have a job?" And he says, "What age are you?" I can't remember what age I was. And I says to him, and he started laughing at me, and I said, "I can show you my beard, sir, like." And he says to me, "Can you run fast?" And I says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I, and there was i could see right out the window about the sit room you could see from the dining room about the sit room and there was a dining of park the park this with from, like young fellas my age on the mm-hmm. back of it and i was like i'm faster than any of them and he says right well i'll pick you up on friday and he said tell your i'll call and i'll see you friday so that was it
2: like he wasn't delivering just milk
5: <laughs> no, no my Ma came home from work and I'm running around the house. And I'm to get a job, and she's like, "What? Like?" And she's like, "What are you talking about? Like?" And I'm like, "I'm to get a job." And she's like, "What do you mean you got a job? You meant to be in So I, I wasn't school, but when I came back for the whatever, and she was like, "I said the, the milkman had to give me the job," and she, I was like, "He's been here." She says, "Who's been here?" And I said, "The milkman." She said "What do you mean he's been?" Here? I said, "He was in in the kitchen." She said, "What do you mean he's in the kitchen?" I was, my ma was all, "Why did you let someone in the house? I mm-hmm. sort of think Anyways, ended up getting a job on the milk round and. Yeah, it was brilliant. Mm. It was the best thing that ever happened.
2: If you could in your pocket.
5: That's how I felt like. Yeah. Like literally it, like I was The deal was Noel and Marcel, I could do the milk rounds. if I go to school, stop fighting, stop getting into all the you know what I mean? All I mean yeah. just behave yourself basically. And she met she met him, they met him, he was like, Oh there's no problem, like you'd just be coming out on the milk round. Two days, a, two days a week collecting the money, and no problems. And there was no problems. I was going out every, every week, going out collecting the money. I can't remember how much I used to get. I think I used to get five pounds, and I used to get loads of tips. I always got tips. But I was real quick because I was good with the in, counting in my head. So I used to know when you give me the tick, I was able to get to the door. So instead of having to wait for him, I was able to tell him what to give me. But the other lads would have to mm. wait. So I was quite good I was at it. And then I used to come home then when I get paid and I used to try and give my mum money. So said, "Ma, you can have that and then I'll have the rest. And she used to laugh at me and say, no, 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 you keep that. That's for you. And then it was grand until the summer. The summer came and he said, I need, I need someone to do the deliveries with me. And there was, there was this guy that used to do them with him and I'd never met him. And because he'd done deliveries, so I would never see him. I only done collections collecting the money and he said I need someone to do the deliveries with me and I said I don't want my mother gonna let me like and he said what's the summer holidays so he said we go and ask her he said I'll speak to her so we went and spoke to my and said like it's the summer holidays like he's not gonna you know, he'd be kept out of trouble he'd be walking every night be getting well paid so she let me do it and that was grand, and I never really thought of where the other fellow was going. I didn't really ask. And then when we were out, he told me, he said he robbed for me, the other fellow that they're robbing for me. And uh, I was kind of left at that, and then we were driving down a road delivering the milk. This fellow went past in the van, another milkman, and who was hanging out the side of the van? Only the chap that used to deliver the milk with, Kenny, that I was working for now. Mm-hmm. And he was hanging outside the, the van, and the next minute, he pulls up the handbrake, puts his hand underneath, grabs a hammer, runs around the corner, gets your man. You could hear the smashing off, and you could hear the bones crack, you could hear him screaming, shouting. He was just with horrendous like, and then like the it went on, it felt like it went on forever, like it was just a scream, drawn real. Even the fella he was walking for fucked off and left him, getting battered. That's how bad it was like. Kenny lost the plot. Then he comes back and he'd all this blood all over. him all over his face all over his hands all over everything and he took his shirt off and he says to me get a milk bottle there and I got a milk bottle and he says pour it over me And he, so he was washing it off with the milk and then he says to me that's what'll happen you if you ever robbed for me and I was literally just shaking and mm. got in the van and within probably a day or two I was putting smack to people's off
2: did you ever have an opportunity after that to Walk away?
5: No, not f- from the from the minute from the minute he he battered Jesse with that hammer, there was no going back.
4: He knew the he knew he had the, fear. the fear in there at that stage. He
5: from the minute he hit him with that hammer, and straight away it was the threats. Within a day or two, I was putting hair on two people's doors.
4: And because you knew how dangerous he was, mm-hmm. you had to protect your family then as well.
5: It was about that's where the responsibility he was putting he was putting on to me he was basically saying like i remember my, my sister got up. my sister was in the army and she came home from the lab she bought a car and he was like i'm gonna put smack in your sister's car if you tell anybody i'll get your mask set up and we used to be driving in the milk float and he'd be pulling over talking to guards on the side of the road and all having chats with them, shaking their hands and all And well, i'm thinking this van full of smack and that's the way it was he was like like he was he was talking to guards all the time and he was saying to me i can get down to raid your house it was just constant threats it was constantly it was always something it was never he could stop for five ten minutes he would have a laugh he'd give you a smoke and play a few tunes and it was the real jekyll and hyde it was we'd be there and we'd be he'd be like "You're yeah, the best walker i have and everything would be fine and then he could just change in a matter of seconds mm. and he'd grab you by the leg and say see how easy it is and, mm. Bully. Yeah, and then it just became, it just became a regular thing every night. Every night it was coke, cocaine, and heroin. We were delivering, dropping to letterboxes, knocking on doors. We were doing it in the poorest estates in Blanchestown, Finglas, Ballymore. We were going to the richest houses. I mean, in Knock, they collect your gates. We had codes at the gates to let ourselves in, and meet the person at the door four, or five in the morning. You were dropping off five or six bags of coke, five or six bags of smack.
2: That's unreal, isn't
5: it? Um, it was just constant. And then every night then you'd go home. And I remember I used to be thinking, I used to be lying in the bed, like, and you'd just run home. Like, you'd, you'd get out of van and just... Re- because it, when the summer stopped, I st- I, th- I was still doing it and going to school then. So the school, going to school was me a relief, like. Mm. Because I'd get away from it for a few hours. So I'd run into the house and I'd be lying under the blanket waiting to go to school and you'd be thinking, what if one of them dies? Like, yeah. like if one of them fellas dies, it's on me. and in that country, that doesn't mean the police are going to come, they're going to arrest me. What me? age
4: were you then, Joy?
5: About oh, 10, 11, 12. so
4: stress for a child to be oh. having. Oh.
5: And, and added to
3: that, I suppose, was the stress that if his father found out he was yeah. a drug dealer or his mother. Oh, he, oh. he was going to... And that was the big grooming process, wasn't mm. it? Yeah. That went on.
4: And uh, like a child at that age doesn't understand the b- boundaries or anything like that. They don't understand, like that they're actually being completely used and manipulated, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. t- emotionally blackmailed then around their family as well. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: you know, when you think about the affluent people in Castleknock, for example, taking their cork, then they think about the, the amount of hurt that's actually, that's involved in getting that drug to mm-hmm. their door. And the amount of people that's involved in that from where it's cultivated in south america being delivered in dublin mm-hmm. and all the, 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 the destruction you know and children being involved and children involved in this type of stuff it's actually a growing thing as well it's a big thing in england and you know, all the county lines and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. and gangs and then drug dealers using houses cocooning and destroying
4: innocent people's families how did you actually get through that period of your life had you anyone to talk to
5: no i went from I went from getting up in the morning and packing, getting. I went from getting up in the morning and putting my school uniform on. Because what was happening was I was coming out of school and he was waiting for me.
4: Outside school. Outside
5: yes. school, so it was like I couldn't, I couldn't lose him. Everywhere I went, he was just there. And then what, what was going on then is, is I, he was telling me get up in the morning, when I drop you back, go in, put your uniform on, put tracksuit in the bag, I put my school bag on, and then I'd go. Well, he'd be waiting around the corner. I'd get in the van, he'd bring me to Ballymore. Give me a load of heroin. And then I'd stand at the towers down on Ballymoon, And I'd go around the tower selling the heroin all day. And then I see, i was afraid because like they were all bigger than me. And, like, they were all like... Mm-hmm. like, they're, like they're people strung out and...
2: Yeah. Did you ever get robbed?
5: No, no, no. I don't know. I've never been robbed. And what I used to... Because I used to hide the money in the grass. Yeah. I used to pull a hole in the grass. And when I had certain amount of money, I'd put the money in the grass. So they would rob me. And I'd never the smack of hiding around the blocks. So if someone wanted it, then I'd run off and get it. Then I'd come back and give it to him. And then if there was no one around, he'd make you walk the landings. Because what happened is, back then he bought me a mobile phone. It was like a Motorola thing. Mm-hmm. It was a big block. And you could only get credit and fingers. And I used to have it connected used to, I'd have it connected onto the side of my jeans. So he'd be ringing there and checking, like, what have you got left? and many bags have you got left? And how much money have you got there? And then if I got a certain amount of money, say 500 quid or whatever, he'd come and take the big lump on me and give me more bags it depends how long I was there for like um the scary part was going through the towers because if there was no customers coming you'd, you'd basically say go and find them mm. so you'd have to walk like the towers were so high you'd go walk up the landings and you'd, you'd, be, you'd be just shouting around the landings anyone looking anyone Do you know what I mean and you'd be, you'd be you'd be afraid pushing the door open to be honest yeah, yeah. you wouldn't know what was behind it and then, it was mad because I didn't live in Ballymun anymore so I was kinda of hiding from my dad as well. Mm. Because I'm standing at the tower selling heroin. My dad and my brother live in Ballymun, I'm thinking, what if someone walks by and sees him? It was just so it was just so much. It was just constant pressure, like it was just
4: Imagine Imagine his nervous system at that age, mm. you know, having to deal with the father finding finding him, selling him drugs in, in the estates and what he would have done to you. And the other fellow, then, if you got robbed, or uh, with all the money, or the drugs and having to go back into the fear of go, having to go back and tell him something like that, you know.
5: I think then, then I was, I, he was giving me cocaine then, and by the time I was doing cocaine and like I was sniffing, like he he chop up, a, like they start giving me coke when when I was babysitting.
2: Babysitting his kids. Mm. Fine, yeah,
5: so I was doing cocaine and they'd give me they go out and they, because the baby was only new. They'd give me coke to so I'd stay awake for the baby I was crying. So I'd mind the two kids. But then I when I was going out then he'd give me Coke then. To do the jobs like, like
2: Do you know when you were babysitting, did you sleep over? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Is, is that how you ended up staying in the house? Yeah, then?
5: I used to sleep on the I used to sleep on the sofa or on the floor in the sitting room. I didn't have my own room then. I didn't get into all that till later on. Mm. um
4: did you get? Uh, did you get caught up in the cocaine fairly fast? Because, like, if 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 you're going going, your mental health must have been bad at that age, okay? Because of what you were going through. So, was the the cocaine helping you to cope? I uh, was it to, helping you to do anything, or was it just was it just working as in something that was just keeping you awake? I don't
5: think I ever. I actually don't think I ever enjoyed a line of cocaine. Yeah. I don't think I ever had a line of cocaine. I was like, do you ever see the way people are like, yeah, I'm having a line of cocaine and I'm going to have a party to me. Yeah. I don't think it's ever been like that for me. I definitely, I, I didn't have a, not that I didn't have a choice, well, I, I didn't have a choice to take it, you had to take it because you just got hurt if you didn't. You just punch you in the face like, um. like you'd start abusing me before then and then, by the time I was doing the coke, like it was, it was just regular. It was, it was, when the phone would ring, see they got. basically what happened, we stopped standing at the towers. We start, started, I moved into his house, I was living in his house and basically it started, it was all done by phones, mobile phones, job phones, we called them work phones. Um, I was up in the bedroom in the attic and basically what was happened was there'd be two or three phones and you'd, you were just constantly, every time the phone rang, like 265 days a year, non stop Christmas day, where I was out delivering new year's day you name it just never stopped all night every night so every time i was going like he would be, be pointing out lions. Mm. or he, every second or two job did a couple of lines do you, do you understand mm, yeah. it, it was it was just to keep me awake it was to keep me going and very rarely would you get would he let you sleep and then he, he he'd wake up and he'd be standing over you like um <laughs> but did i come depending on it? i yeah but definitely later on in life mm.
2: Um. that's it that was his goal to get to chemical dependency. Well, I, I, I did.
5: I didn't know that. I thought
2: more control.
5: Yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, when I at first, I thought it was going to be a fucking. I felt like it was numbing what was happening to me. I felt like it. Like I, I felt like I lost. I lost myself well before the coke. Mm. Like once you started abusing me, I felt like I lost something.
4: Something, something just left you. Left, yeah. yeah, yeah.
5: So it happened before, but the way
4: couldn't get out of this one
5: it like, was still violent you know, like it was too it was it was yeah it was violent mm. it was nasty mm. it, was, it was yeah it was nasty and it was it was difficult so i am um, yeah the coke was just regular it mm. was the coke was just regular it was just sniffing 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 and come here
4: they must have been making some money yet. Like to have an organization set up like that,
5: yeah. It, was, it must have
4: been bringing in some amount of cash, it
5: was not, it, it was non stop. So, basically, what happened then is, is he bought a motorbike, so I'd go out on a motorbike, and then there'd be two cars there was there was, a, there was a silver Golf, not Golf, silver Mitsubishi cult, and a black Mitsubishi cult. Both of them had the same reg. Um, I had a CBO that he bought, and that's what I'd use. So, I'd use the three different things he would never do deliveries he'd only get his hands dirty if someone wasn't paying up that was the only time he'd literally come out and do something himself i was literally running the whole business like i was up in the room like all i was doing was bagging like we basically we i'd go over to clandorkin and i'd get like a couple of keys strapped to my body and i'd put my letters back on it strap around my legs ounces around my legs keys around my stomach keys around my back then i would put the letters on me Helmet on me, back on the motorbike, and send it across the motorway back to the house. Once he'd hear me coming up the road, beep, beep, open the shed doors, into the shed, out the side door, up to the attic, into my room, one scale's there, one scale's there, all the bags, and then I'd just sit there, he'd be giving me lines of coke, saying, there's a bit for you, keep sniffing the coke while you're backing up, Up then I'd be doing, all we'd done was Henry's eights, you know what they are, mm-hmm. eights, quarters, cubity's, Qs, mm-hmm. stuff like that, so... And it was just and then all we sold was eights of coke like big bags of coke one of our bags mm-hmm. we didn't do like 50 bags or small bags he yeah. didn't fuck about it was like stopped doing cures as well because it was no put, like leaving the house for 20 euro uh, so we got to the stage where we were making that much money he was he was making that much money he could afford just to sell eight he didn't need to go selling cures
2: can you describe the house like it was not it was not it a was regular like a, terrorist no house. it was like
5: a, it was like a compound so it was a co- It started off as a cottage, so when you turn it, had big black gates, and then I had a conservatory. I had a conservatory at the front, and there was a sofa and two chairs in it. And then I had a front door, and then I had a bedroom to the right, and then I had the main door. As I said, the front door, and then when you the left, it was the sit room. That's where I used to sleep. But at this stage, I when I when I was living there, I had my own room. I lived in the attic, and you walk through there, and on the right was his room. Then on the left was the spare room. That's where people would stay over if they were on the run or anything. Just random people stay over. He left stay over. They'd be in the spare room. Um then you go up my stairs. My stairs were red, they were painted red, but they kept squeaking all the time. And I was in the attic and I had a single bed and a chest of drawers and a chair. I didn't have a telly. I wasn't allowed to smoke and I had a uh,
0: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at
1: HelloFresh.com.
0: Let's get this dinner party started.
1: Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving
5: And if I wanted to smoke, I used to climb out onto the roof when they were. You now if they were going to sleep, like I'd sneak out and have a fag on the roof, and uh, I'd get back in. And then the bathroom was underneath, and then there was the kitchen, and then he'd build a big shed. It's like a big compound, and the shed was huge. Like it was twenty times the size of this room. Mm. You could fit like fifteen cars in it.
2: Like like a warehouse, like
5: yeah. This was at the back, and
2: had your neighbors.
5: There was a neighbour on the right-hand side. um,
2: Was it a detached house?
5: Yeah, it was detached, yeah. It was a neighbour on the right-hand side and there was a dog pound at the back. Until we bought the house off.
3: It's quite rural, actually, that area. It's out near Dublin Airport, but it's like, you're certainly not like the city. It's like you're in the middle of the country really out there, it's dark, there's no street lights. Yeah. Is
2: there like a perimeter wall around this or?
3: There is a wall around it but opposite it fields and fields like, I mean you mm-hmm. can see the airport, well I don't know if you can see the airport, the distance but you, you know you're the near air. the airport mm-hmm. like.
2: Well oh, where was his partner, yeah? His wife or his girlfriend whoever she is.
5: Yeah so... Yeah like... Uh, she was strung out on her. she was strung out on her, there was two partners. There was one before that. There was one when I first started doing the delivery, uh, collections. Uh, I was mine the kid. Then when they started giving me the coke, then she was gone and then he married it, uh, and another woman. And she was on heroin and he was on heroin. So both of them were on the gear. So I was, as I said, I was running the whole show. Like, the only time he'd leave the house, really, is if someone was fucking about or wasn't paying up.
4: Was he, was, he stronghold to this
2: day? Yeah,
5: yeah, he was stronger, but was.
2: Did he become more volatile when he got stronghold?
5: Yeah, so what happened was... Is the shed had been built and he built this room in the back and it was a pool table and it was like a bar and all this stuff and everything and... Um, yeah, it got real nasty. It got, like There was more guns and all involved and like I'd seen guns before because when I was doing deliveries, the, the first time he pointed a gun at me, at me we were driving down the back of Corridor Road. And he just stopped the car for some reason and just put his hand underneath and put, it was only an hour rusty thing compared to what they were using later on. And just put to the side of me head and just said, if you ever tell anybody what I'm after doing, it was after you abused me one of the times, I'll blow your fucking head off. And then he just put it back under the seat. But when I'd moved back then, it was, it was awful because he was, he, he was strung out, she was strung out, and then there was a kid there as well. So I was looking after the kid and then I was running the business. So you were trying to help him with his homework, make sure he was fed. Then I'd have to clean the yard, clean the house. Like you couldn't go to the toilet around without asking. You couldn't have a bath, like you'd make you use his water, like effectively
2: a slave. If you That's went, what I was thinking if yeah. he had
5: a bath, like you'd have to use the same bath water and all, it was just mad. It was very
2: degrading.
5: It got very what's the word? Like, psychological. Yeah, and but it got very like military. Mm-hmm. It was all like very Regimented, regimented. That's the way it right sorry. That's the way we call it Very regimented, like so. Um,
2: and do you, know you Say he was abusing it. It was sexual abuse as well, wasn't it? Yeah.
5: Yeah,
2: uh, that's because people might know about that, like. But you know, it, it, it when you think later on, down the line, you know, when you when it when it transpires, like people that would generally be against that type of an act. I think I'm more compassionate with when they understand that piece, you know, that like this was uh, maniac on many levels, you know, very depraved individuals, you know.
4: I'm gonna come completely off of just, just it's just um just like since all that stuff has happened, you know, all that like how does somebody come back from all that trauma? You know, how like what what has it taken for you to? get the courage to speak your story to be the person you are today you know have, have you had therapy are you still getting therapy you you know how you cope joy like
5: i think for the rest of my life i'll always be in recovery with my me mental health mm. i'll always suffer i went to the priory a couple of years ago and it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, I think I matured hmm. in the priority. I don't think I was mature enough until I went there. I don't think that my brain actually matured. I don't think I was allowed to mature. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm. So I think when I went to the priority, I matured. I think I, bec- I think I became a man. Like, I think physically I may have looked like a man, but mentally I was still that. I I can relate. Mentally, 100%. I was still that child. Yeah. I was still, I was still. Everything was around him, even though he was in prison. I felt bad for him. Mm. What. what at times I would feel guilty. I would think, oh my God, is he all right? I put him there. Th- that th- and th- I, yeah. I couldn't understand how fucked up that was until I went to the priority. And as I said, I think I matured as an individual, as a man. I, I think I was allowed to mature in the priority. They gave me the time and the space. And the, it was constant therapy. It was constant. It was three, four times a day with different types of therapy. Psychotherapy it was there. Uh, psychologists psychiatrics it was music therapy it was it was just constant therapy and it was it was amazing but what what they let me do is they let me sleep I remember going home for the fourth night and I never forget it I was so exhausted and I went in and they brought me to my room and they said to me just go sleep and I, for once in my life I wasn't afraid. Mm. I wasn't scared, and I went in, and I just went into this room, and I was on a single bed, and I got the, under the blanket, and I went to sleep, and it was the first time I could ever remember going to sleep, and then it mm-hmm. was nothing. When I woke up, everything was still there, and I knew it was going to be the hardest journey of my life. I knew I needed to be there. I knew I needed to be there for the year, and I knew I needed what they were going to give me, and it was hard because I had to come off medication, and then... they had all these diagnoses that I hadn't even got, where when I went to the Priory, everything was done properly. Everything was just slowed down and calm, and you were allowed to express yourself, and I was allowed to talk, and it was individual. It was just about me.
4: Mm. Sounds like an amazing
5: place.
2: Is that like a a treatment centre for mental health?
5: It was for mental health. It wasn't for drugs or anything like that. I'd come off that. I'd done that with my mum. My mum had done that with me. i literally done that on the floor in Ballymun. Sorry, James.
4: I was just going to say... we we skipped the small part there because I needed to know how you are.
5: Yeah, well, I think.
4: And 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 I j- may have jumped a little bit forward, but like I'm looking at you, and, and my heart is going out to yeah, you, and I can see the emotion in your face, and I just wanted to know how you were feeling at that time, you know, and I just not wanted to know where you are in your own space as well, but um, I think
5: now I, w- I think I think now. Every day, every day, to be honest with you, I wake up and it's depression.
4: It's still a battle today, so. But
5: I know my steps now. Yeah. I know the things I have to do to get myself out of
4: that.
5: Mm. Suicide goes through my head a lot. But then, to me, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm. Does that Can make sense? Yeah. You know,
4: since the podcast and since the book and everything else that has came with that, have you looked at the comments from people and, and been able to accept them and, and take their feedback, like how people are actually looking at you and saying, like, you're, you're some human being to be able to come through something like that and to be able to still be live and talk about your story? You know, how, how do you take the nice comments? Because sometimes we can take that one negative comment as everything and leave the 10,000 comments that are saying, well done, fair play. You've been through so much. How are you around the last stuff today?
5: Yes, I, I struggle with it. I, I, I do find it difficult, I think. I, can tell you that. I do find it difficult to... Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, listen, <laughs> I didn't know we were going to write a book. Like, I didn't know who the fuck wanted to listen to me. They want to hear my story. Do you understand? The way I looked at it was... Just, I got to the stage where I just couldn't take any more. I was beaten. I was abused. I was tortured, and they murdered somebody. Mm. And the way I looked, the way I—that was
2: the—that was the start of the, the cameras back.
5: I hadn't. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing when I was escaping. I didn't know what, where I was going to go. I didn't know where I was. What, all I knew was that I needed to get out of there, and I needed to do the right thing, and I needed to save myself, and I need, And I just needed to. I needed to fight, mm. and. Yeah, I, what
4: led up to, what led up to the end, what was the?
5: the I tell you what led up to the end. When they came, what what happened was I was in the bedroom buying heroin, and they went out. I didn't know where they were going.
4: What age were you this time, Joy?
5: I was um, seventeen,
4: eighteen. And just going on for at least eight, eight to nine years. Of your mm-hmm. life at this stage.
5: I'm in the bedroom, and th- they went out, and she called me down as wife, and she said they're oh, they're going out to battle some fella. That was standard that was that was yeah. weekly things i mean that, that that wasn't anything that you'd be like sitting there shocked because that happened to me all the time mm-hmm. um but when they came back and had me a, 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 i'd seen guns but what had, i mean i'd be hiding the guns in the field they'd be telling me hide this hide that like the field was full of heroin full of money Full of guns, full of cars, full of bikes. It was of everything, everything you name it. Was in them fields. I knew them fields like the back of my hand. I was in them fields at two, three, four, five in the morning with torches on me head, with infrared goggles, with a dog with me. Sometimes by myself in the lashings, the rain, freezing cold. he'd send you, and that's what you had to do. And and I done it. I done all that stuff. But when he came back after, hand me the gun and told me to run up to the field and hide it. I knew there was something. Something. I knew there was something bad that had to happen. But when I came back and they told me what they were after doing and then it didn't really hit me until they told me to check the teletext. And then when I checked the teletext and it says a man has been shot dead outside Cloverhill Prison and he says me, shout without reader. Kenny said, shout without reader because Thomas can't read. So I shouted without reader and I said, it didn't say he died or four. It said a man has been shot outside Cloverhill Prison. Mm. And then they were panicking saying what if he's not dead, what if he's not dead. And then I checked another teletext, there was only two, there was RTE and TV3 at the time. And then I checked the other one, I think it was TV3, I might have been called something else, but it was 3, it was definitely the 3 channel. And I said a man has died outside of Cloverhill prison after being shot. And they were bouncing around the kitchen, clapping, high-fiving, cheering, whacking Jack Daniels over. Smoking gear on the on the foil, sniffing lines of coke, and then they brought me in and started threatening me, t- telling me if I, if I told anybody what they do to me, what they do to me family. I was terrified, like, and I'm not gonna sit here and say I wasn't because I was. Mm. And then they gave me the gear, the the letters, and told me to chop and burn them in the stove. And then I wasn't doing that right. You'd Be shouting, you're doing it wrong, so and so. But then after that, everything got so worse because what he was timing me. He started like he brought me to the field and. He had a pump-action shotgun, and he used to make me stand in the field and shoot beside me head, or shoot over me. It's not to to make me scared, like, just to show show me, like, and then he could keep saying, look, I've done it once, and I'll do it again, and then the, the abuse got worse. Like, he kept bringing me down to the shed, and beating me, and abusing me more, and it just got, everything got so much, it was like he was obsessed with me. Because he told me, it was like he got obsessed with me then. He, what he would do is, he'd bring me out in the car and he would time the garage. There was a garage up the back of Roadstone and he would time me from the house with him driving to the garage and back and then he would say to me, so that took me like seven, eight minutes. So when he said to me, go out and come back and if I'm not back in that seven or eight minutes, as soon as you go in, like you're getting a sewer all across your back or digging the digging in the face like because he'd have to time it. Everything was time because he thought I was telling people stuff he was getting paranoid mm. the drugs were he was freaked like because he had murdered your man he kept thinking i was going to tell somebody like and i just couldn't take it anymore
4: what was the timeline between the murder and and you have haven't you haven't gone to, go to the, the guards at this stage but I think
5: about three weeks three weeks what happened i couldn't get i couldn't get away like yeah. who do i go to yeah. How do I go to the guards? And I was afraid they were going to ring him and say, well, we have him down here sending more to somebody. Then I was dead like. But the only smart thing I'd done was when I hid the gun, I never told them where I hid the gun. Mm. And that was the only smart thing I ever done because I don't oh, know sure. what, subconsciously I must have just, it wasn't like I planned it. I always hit the, the there, was, there was three fields, and I hit the smack and the money in one field, and the guns in the other field. But for this one time, for some reason, I went to the tour field, and I put the murder weapon in the tour field. Mm. Something in me just told me just to hide it there. Like, I don't know why I hit Can it you there. remember that murder, Nicola, when it happened? Were you reporting on yeah, that? Yeah, I
3: remember. I don't remember. Look. I don't remember it sort of significantly. Yeah. Um, I had no intimacy with it or whatever.
2: But the fact it was right outside the prison stands out, doesn't it? Yeah,
3: absolutely. And then the trial was the fact that, obviously when it came to trial, Joey subsequently did escape that home and he went to the police and he brought them and they found the murder weapon. You asked how much money he was making, Kenny, at the time, Brian Kenny. I think there was about 200 or 50,000 found buried in the fields alone opposite the house. He was making a huge amount of money. Um Joey went on to give evidence against both him and Thomas Hinchin, and they were convicted of murder It was before a jury mm. and um they were convicted of murder and sent away so um that was a significant because he was the youngest state witness mm. to give evidence like that. you know they're in protection. Obviously, they go into witness protection. Once mm. they give their evidence, they're signed yeah. out of witness protection and they're sent off into the world alone. Mm. That's fine for an older individual with family mm. maybe around them. Yeah. But Joey was so young and without all those skills that you maybe learn before you go out yeah, into the world just alone. Prob- just a child,
4: basically. He yeah. said it there himself. He was obviously just a child because he never had an opportunity to grow and mm. t- to become the person that he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody,
2: nobody was minding you like, you know you think of like it, it, like Timmy's 11 year old mm. there's nobody minding you there's nobody playing with you you don't experience like sport or girlfriends boyfriends or going out you know clubs or youth clubs you know mountain bikes you know, stuff that children should be doing mm. like you missed all that part of your life which is sad do you know what I mean and I think about like what other children are out there experiencing this today you know like, um, for you to come through it. Um, so when that murder happened, you know, when it was really bad, it was bad now the whole way, but like when things got intense in terms of his possession of you, what kind of relationship had you got with your mother at the time? Was there any communication with the family?
5: No, not really. My ma came to try it. My ma came up once when I wasn't there. My ma came, came up to get me back because she hadn't seen me. And I wasn't there. Hmm and his partner was there, and my was like, I haven't seen Joseph, is everything all right? And she said, yeah, and, or whatever. And I wouldn't see me family, be very rarely I'd see them. When I seen them, well, you just, you played the game. You said everything was all right. And you never, you never said anything. You, you you just lied, like, Yeah. and that was the way it was. It was just, it was that, that was the cycle. You, you just told them everything was okay, and I'm happy, and I'm up there walking, and I'm making money, and you never, you never said it again. Like, you, know, you just the fear is the one, you like. Yeah, because you're thinking of what's going to happen to them. Like it was yeah. like even the night when I went to the police, he told about the house like with big can of petrol. outside in my house when I light off, threatened to burn the house down if I didn't come back. Like so, when I was in the police station, like he was ringing the phone. He actually was admitting what he done on the phone. <laughs> when I was in the police station, like I think we 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 met one day one of the guards that in the podcast told. He's the main investigator of the murder, and he'll tell you, like, he was sitting in front of me taking a statement. And Kenny was saying, I want me gun back, and I was, what I'm going to do with you? And then he went to court and said, I'm not guilty. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. It wasn't like I'm making this stuff up. This stuff was all in, from his phone to my phone, and they weren't turning the phone off. The guards were, like, let him keep texting. Like, there were hundreds that just kept ringing and ringing and ringing and messages and messages. And it was just constant, like it was.
2: Did the guards treat you well when you first went to the station? In
5: in the beginning, they were brilliant. I could never have asked for anything more. Like they were, they were compassionate, and they were, like I, I, I was, I was, I was skinny. Like I was, I was. You could see my ribs. I was mm-hmm. black and blue. I was One of
4: the things. we oh, We enjoyed that. Point.
5: Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was fragile. Like I was skinny. I, I wasn't. Like I was strung out. Like
4: most, yeah. m- most fellas only kind of break their teeth in the drug game about that age. Mm. Mm. you know like you're already after being there 10 years at this stage well eight years at this stage
2: yeah a sad image the it's, it is, it's, the it's. and the witnesses the book and the podcast is when you no know, when um when they raided his house mm. and they went up to your room and there was like there was the bed and there was a chair and there was no ties or magazines or radio there was nothing there to say that a young person lived in this room you know yeah. and that was you know no belongings to take with you uh, stuff like that it's a very sad image you know
4: does that make you feel sad hearing that from someone else
5: it didn't at the time to- it, it did not at- it didn't i felt embarrassed at the time
4: hmm.
5: i never knew it was a- sad i didn't know it was sad at the time but um. i'll never forget how embarrassed i was when the guard said it to me when when they took me because what happened is when they took kenny out of the house they brought me back and they because they needed to take pictures of me in the house with all the evidence, with the guns, with the money, with the drugs. And they took me up to my room and they says, where's your stuff? And I said, what stuff? And he was they were like, where's your things? Like? I said, I don't have anything. I just have what I have. Mm. That was it. How
2: do they approach you for witness protection? Like what? What kind of conversations do they have? what's the offer they give you in return for your evidence, you know? Do well, they do they make false promises or how do they sell it to you? see,
5: there's a, there's a difference there's a couple of ways of witness protection. Mm-hmm. Either a lot not a lot mo- most people go to witness protection if the guards have something mm-hmm. on them. they say, Listen, if you let me offer this I've done this. If you if I tell you this and you let me offer this I'll make I go to court and give evidence against so and so like
2: what's in courts at the moment it's that kind of a situation
5: Yeah, so they're approached yeah they're, they're, yeah so that's how it works where with me it was different because I didn't I hadn't done anything and there was no criminal I, I hadn't got any criminal convictions yeah. no, I'd been arrested probably I don't know how many times but I, drug searches brought in drug search nothing on me I've been chased by the police because that's what we were involved in like that's what he had me doing like he had mm-hmm. me doing robberies rob car, all that stuff at you well like but it uh, I knew how to do everything because you were taught like and mm. you were going around like with the biggest gangsters in dublin like mm. like it was just crazy like you you were just standing there and like you'd be just fucking shitting just looking around the room thinking like these are the people everyone talks about in the newspapers mm. like and, mm. and but when i went to the guard it was i didn't know i was i just went and told what happened about the murder and then they never said anything about the witness protection. Toddy and the lads, they were just really, they, they, were just, they were protecting me. They brought me to a hotel and they were protecting me. They never said anything about witness protection. And then I was in my room one day in the hotel and I hadn't got anything. Like I didn't have personal things. Like, and but I had in my mask, so they brought me, to, Toddy brought me to my mask to say goodbye. Like, and I went and my sisters had stuff for me, my stuff that I used to have when I lived there. So my sisters had washed my clothes and all that and got my stuff together. And my ma had given me money and they're like, you're gonna need stuff and all. Like I'll never forget driving down the road and popping tree and looking back and my sisters and all crying in the garden and my ma and all. Right. Cause I knew it never, I knew my life would never be the same. I knew, I knew, right. cause I'd made the statement by yeah. then. I knew I was fucked like.
4: That must've been a tough feeling.
5: Yeah, and then, there was no really mention of winter protection, I just knew I was getting protected then. And then I was in the hotel, and I didn't notice what was happening. I'd come down earlier, and John that was minding me, he was my mind, a lovely guy, he had a newspaper, but when I came down he threw the newspaper, kind of away from him, and So I, went, I picked up the newspaper and I read it, and it didn't say my name, but it said what had happened. And... Then Toddy came and they called me down and said we need to talk to you and I went into the into the dining room and we we're sitting there and Toddy says Joey we need you to go to court and I was like what are you talking about like and he was like no you need to go today like now and I was like why like and he said because Kenny's trying to get out and it was awful like so within minutes the men came in black jeeps jeeps pulled up to put me in the jeeps they're all armed get in the car Toddy's cars in the front, there's another car behind, and there's these two Jeeps, all these men, I don't know who they are, all in black with guns. They bring me, we're going up the nice road on the wrong side of the nice road, and they bring me to the court. I'd never even been to the court before in Clover Hill. I think I'd been to the prison, but I didn't know I was caught there. And they brought me underground. And then the next minute, I'm, the next minute I was standing in this room, and all these guards stood around me with guns, and I was standing in the middle they walked me out I couldn't see anybody but I could hear everybody you could hear everything but you couldn't see cuz I was so small and these men were so tall and then they kind of walked me up and then they opened up and they opened up there was this box and I got into the box and I stood and I stood and I turned around and then when I turned around the whole place was just packed like you couldn't there wasn't a space in the place Mm -hmm. everybody you didn't want to be there was there Mm -hmm. it was literally like it's where someone had sent out an invitation to say, Joey's going to be here to give evidence against your man." There was that many. Was so, there heckling? Yeah, so I was in. See, it were like rats, snitch, grass, all these names they were saying. They were saying that when I was when I was walking out. When I walked in, I don't think people realised because then, what had happened was I was in the box and I didn't know it was at first. So I'm talking. The barristers are attacking me. First, the state barrister was asking me questions and saying what happened so this is just a brief this isn't a trial this is just a brief I'm trying to keep him on remand he's trying to get out and bail and then his solicitor comes and tells me I'm a lawyer blah blah and I'm f- I'm arguing back and I'm trying to like, say well I'm telling him no he did do it and the judge listens to me but then I look to the side and he's, he's on this box Kenny is and he's in a tractor I've never even seen him in a tractor before and a t shirt and he's jumping up and down and he's doing this head move and and he's intimidating me like and then I look and it's dad in front of me. So that everywhere, everywhere I look, Mm. when I start realizing there's people everywhere I look, there's people staring. Henshin's family, his brother, all them, everyone is there. Then I start realising what's around me, like the fear and the intimidation, what's going on here. And Kenny kept trying to get me attention. He was banging the box on down. And the judge saying, the judge told, uh, there was one of the guards beside me, said, go over there and stand in front of him. And he warned Kenny, if you keep it up, you will be removed. And he gave me evidence. I went back into the back room and I didn't hear what happened until they came in and the judge said that he believed if, I, if Kenny was to be released, I'd be mortified. And he told me he wasn't getting out. And that's when I met the guys from the waiting protection. And they said, the only the promise they gave me, that they gave me and the promise they lied about, they promised me that I could stay in Ireland and I could stay with my ma and they protect me. And they didn't. They didn't offer me money, they didn't offer me any bribes or say, you can have this or you can have that.
2: Where did they put you?
5: They sent me away to the UK. And I was by myself and told never to contact my family or my ma or my daughter or me anybody ever again.
4: This was before the Priory, was it?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Priory only happened when I met Nicola and my sister. Mm -hmm. How did did you reconnect, Nicola? Yeah, Nicola and my sister helped
3: me fight. Um, Were you
2: at the trial?
5: No. So I was investigating
3: witness protection and some of the stories around it. And I basically approached Mary, Joey's mother, and he didn't want to talk to me. And he was in a bad place. Now he had subsequently I discovered he'd moved back to Ireland. Things hadn't worked out for him in the UK. He'd moved back to Ireland and ultimately he was attacked in Dublin by somebody who recognised him and at that point he contacted me in desperation. <laughs> and usually yeah. anybody who contacts a journalist, yeah. you could be the last port of call, like, you know, yeah. so that's what happened. And we just went from there. That was 2012, I think. And, you know, there was ups and downs since then. But ultimately, firstly, Joey was looking for help through stories and and that in the paper. And then kind of it it became apparent he didn't need stories in the paper. He needed to get proper help, actually. And so that that was kind of what I worked on a little bit. Um, And, you know, eventually it was your solicitor really got everything going. And he got this year in the Priory. And when he came back, then you were in a better Place. You, must and see, I think
2: you must see you the huge transformation in him from when you met him first to how he's doing today. You
3: know, and yeah, because he was going. kind of like trying to tell the story, and you're absolutely right. He's very articulate, very well able to tell his own and own his own story. But that only came after the therapy. Absolutely. Before that, it was chaotic, even the telling of the story. And it was it was this happened and this happened and this happened, and you couldn't. Mm. Sometimes it's very hard to keep yeah. somebody on. Mm. Or even steer them a little bit because not everybody knows how to tell a story. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you can help them a bit, but sometimes you just can't. They just can't tell it. But, yeah, that's what I think he got from it. Not Sorry, not the ability to tell a story, but the control over the understanding, the deep understanding of what was happening to him and the ability to be able to describe that grooming process and how he was thinking then when it was happening and being able to look back now as an adult and see what was actually happening.
4: Mm.
2: Mm. Sometimes we get people um contacting us, they want to come on and tell their story and they have amazing stories, you know. But they might be so far, so far removed from it. Yeah. And just because you've an amazing story doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to tell it and come back most in twelve months time. Because when you do your personal development and your therapy and all these things, when you tell your story, you tell it from a different place, mm. a bit more composure, a bit more calmness. It's not as triggering it long as be triggering. Which you can kind of own it a little bit better and you're going to be able and this is an important piece after it goes out because when it goes out there's thousands of people going to listen to it and watch it and are you going to be prepared for that mm-hmm. because once it's out there it's out there you know. Um, and you have to be well enough in yourself and
3: that's I suppose maybe what I brought to the table and others as well that little bit of professional yeah. packaging of it Yeah. you know what I mean as opposed to I mean it was Joey's story but we were able to help him That. Um, Get when explained
4: proper articulated exactly. in the right exactly. way. That For when people
3: understand
4: it. oh But um so after the priory, you know, your life must have been very difficult because you were trying to find your own pattern life and you had family and stuff like that. And where do, where did you go from there after the priory, Joy?
5: I think um I've I've never And uh, mentally, I'm—I've never been so well.
1: I'm, bit, well.
5: I'm, I'm the best I've ever been, and uh, as I said, it's—it's it's, it's always going to be a battle. I'm on—I'm on a lot of medication. Probably taking a 14 tablet today okay. for different different things, and um,
4: but it's helping you. Yeah.
5: It, oh, no, it's the right medication. Like helping, I, yeah. I, I actually would never come off it because yeah. I've never—I've never been so well. I, um, mm. as I said, every day is a struggle. Look, like I do get... I do get down i anxiety, depression, suicide thoughts, stuff like that but i I find for me the purpose of mm-hmm. something something to do yeah I work I have a job and I have a job at the moment and like I got someone helped me a while ago got me back into got me back into work and gave me a chance and really looked after me and from there I went on and started a job recently that I really like and i'm really enjoying and I find one once I have purpose, it really helps me, and I take my medication regularly. I keep up my, my appointments, my counsellor, my psychiatrist. Brilliant. My mom, and my sisters are a huge supporter. My, my ma just drills it into me. She's just she's constant. My mom's me constant in my life. We've met her. Yeah, yeah and, she, met she, her. and she loves you. She like she, was, uh, she told mm-hmm. me you that were was so kind around her. And, uh, as I said, I don't usually do this sort of thing, but she made sure I did. Because <laughs> she was so good to us. So I'm glad I did. But she um my ma is uh she's a driving force, right? Because she motivates me and she drills into me, don't start something without finishing. And she said that to me yeah. a few weeks ago of doing something, and she says, like, never do something to, like don't quit. Like keep yeah. going, you've got this far. And so that's what she always says to me, you've got this far. Mm. And you have survived. And like I live every day like with the threat hanging over me, and I know the consequences of what I've done. At the end of the day, um, the witness, the book, has been a great success, and the podcast—I don't know—I think over three million streams it's had or something, and it's been amazing. And I'm so grateful for everyone that has listened, has taken the time to even like the emails that we get and the comments we get, and mm. even the even the bad ones because not everyone's gonna. Mm. everyone's going to be happy with what I do and I understand that mm. and I accept I'm not going to say I accept my fate because I'm not going to think like that I'm not going to yeah. sit here worrying every day thinking I'm going to walk but I do I have to get up every day and I have to be careful when I'm walking in the door I have to check my cameras I have to have my phones and alarms on me some places I have to wear my bulletproof vest mm. I'm coming to Dublin or I'm coming to Ireland where I'm going Mm. I have liaison officers, and I have a, I have a team around me now that I didn't have before. Since yeah. I've under- done the witness, I have support.
4: And, and, and have you noticed that mm. that that kind of support getting more better because the more your story goes out into
5: definitely
3: the world. there is certain things provided by the state which Joey couldn't operate without when he's in the country, but a lot of other things have been provided by people, well wishers, and people who have really admired him and. Uh, Who've become, you've collected a certain amount of people in your life yes. that you didn't have beforehand. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yes. And they're a bit of an army, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. And, um, you know, the thing about it is about security, you're your first line of mm-hmm. defense. And you have to have the, the, the ability to recognize that. There's no one going to protect yeah. you more than you will yourself. Yeah. And um, you don't do stupid things. You don't go silly places. Every decision you make, you think about Keep the circle smile keep the circle small tight and always make sure like that you're you're you've you've as much information as possible i mean we often have phone calls if anybody listened into i don't know what but we'd be you know getting into a bit of a thing that we've heard something about kenny he might be on his way out he was on his way out he was getting in actual fact when the Podcast with it, was at the height of its uh, popularity. He was getting days and weekends out and was trying to keep an eye on where he was going and what he was doing. And thankfully, he managed to screw it all up for himself because he was in an open prison about to get parole and he was caught with a load of drugs. He brought them back in. He's still doing what he always did. And Is he's he back in the main, he yes, gone? he's alive. He's back in the main prison system now, where I understand through my contacts that he's highly unpopular. Um, exactly as you both said. There are lines in the sand, he crossed them all when yeah. he mm. abused a child, mm. sexually abused a child and really when his truth kind of was, was aired mm. and he is deeply disliked, he yeah. has no friends and um, he's where he is. I don't think he gets very many visitors Um he's also, I mean, for a lifer to be one foot out the door and to screw it yeah. up is
2: that must be a tough it's very thing hard coming delivered. back from that
3: for him very hard yeah. yes exactly
2: because he's been in for so long mm-hmm. and there was no change it's, gone a, little, it's a long way back yeah. for parole to prove like mm. you
3: know? and like, it couldn't happen in a nicer guy yeah, calm yeah. Up. we spoke about well, Caramel. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah yeah
4: <laughs> do you know from just sitting here and listening to you no know, I've, I've, I've listened to the story a few times I've read the book as well and um your wife never shuts up. To be <laughs> she she loves the, she loves
5: you. Thanks for you
4: taught me that, like, um, but from sitting across the table and listening to your story, you know, and um, I c- coming from that world as well as I said earlier, and uh, like people need to under- hear your story. Firstly, they need to know what you've went through, you know, and they also need to know that. You know, you, what you had to do, you had to do. Not just to protect yourself, but to protect future people down the line. You know, because um, when somebody is completely out of control like that, innocent people get hurt as well. You know, and um, people also have to understand that you were a child, a ten-year-old child that was completely manipulated and um, made do things that they, they would have never even understood what they were doing. You know, and you know, I think as a society, and we need to understand the importance of your story, and and try to stop things like that happening within our communities anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, because the drug game at the moment is very, very. It's 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 lucrative. There's a lot there, and for young people that are growing up with no education, and and the role models are people who are involved in drugs and and other things like that. Um, they need to know that it's not a game to get into no. you know because yeah
3: because plenty of them are choosing it yeah
4: it's yeah. not a game to get into uh, trust me trust James you know, we've been through it we, and, and many other people that we've had in this podcast who've gone through the criminal justice system drugs and all these different things prison it's not something that you want to get into but I know in certain su- circumstances a lot of us don't have any opportunity because mm. it's all we know and that's all I ever knew was crime and 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 drugs and stuff and uh, i just want to thank you for being yeah. being so honest and t- and giving myself and james uh the opportunity to have a chat with Jay and yourself nicola do you know and um
2: and w- one of the things as well i think um what you're after doing as well for people is do you know if you're uh for, for, for people now in, in the general public and they look at people going to orberstown or people getting caught up in crime young people that there's a bit more of a critical eye you know. When like, I wonder what's actually going on in that young person's life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you know what I mean, it's not, right, that's a child that should be doing no children things, What what's going on in that life, do you know what I mean, what's the abuse, what's the neglect, what's the family context, and you've given your testimony, but you're speaking on behalf of a lot of other people that may never have the platform that you have, or they may never be able to have the vocabulary, or be well enough in themselves to actually tell their story, so... That's what Joe after doing as well, and uh you know what? It's great to meet you, and thanks to Nicola as well for, mm. you know, giving you the platform and supporting you through, and uh, Ian for making a brilliant podcast as well. You no, know,
5: definitely. Well, I I try not to, uh, I, tr- I try not to comment on stuff that I don't really don't nothing got to do with me. I just, yeah. I've always kind of been like that. But I think I've said it before, and I'll say it again: the only luxury is time, and you need to appreciate every moment. Mm-hmm. Cause look, every day someone's getting shot in the paper, or getting killed because of drugs, and I'm only gonna end up one way or the other on a cell with a hole in you. And talk to your family, talk to your ma, talk to your dad, talk to someone older than you, and just try and look after yourself and be safe.
4: And unfortunately, that is the reality of it. Mm. And we've—I've often said it here, like uh, towards the end of my own story, there was three options for me: there was prison for life, there was death or else I was going into a, a, an institution for my mental health mm-hmm. because my head was gone as well, you know, and I was happy with any of those three, yeah. you know. But, no, I'm glad I got had a fourth option, and I'm living the fourth option today, and I'm so, so lucky. You know, not everybody's lucky. We've had friends who've died. Yes. We've had friends who don't life. Mm-hmm. You know, we've friends who are in and out, and, they're, and they, they can't get this thing. They just can't get it. They can't understand that there's actually a possibility that they can get away from alcohol and drugs and live a, a, a fulfilled life, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's why we started this podcast from the beginning, is is to show people that you can. It's not like stepping over a rock and getting to the happy ending, you know? Me and James had to work on ourselves through the last 10, 11 years. Like you're, you're doing it yourself, psychology, psychotherapy, counseling. For me, it's meditation is a massive part of it. And it's about just understanding human beings and their true nature, mm-hmm. and understanding that people people do silly things in life, you know. But it's very important as well to help people out, you know. Definitely. And um, and there's always
2: a ride back. Yeah. And you're a great yes. example of that. And it was lovely talking to you.
5: Thanks so much for having me, I really appreciate it. And thanks, Joe. So and how you, Thanks,
2: you. I will, there's no <laughs> problem. <laughs> See thanks you later, so much, guys. God,
0: God
5: bless. Thanks. Thank thanks you. Forward.